session with Dr. Farid Polaki. afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. So, going to do a book of the week. I didn't do any shows last week, so I did uh, the book from two weeks ago on Monday's show, and today I'll be doing last week's book of the week which is Projections by Carl Dizeroth. Projections by Carl Dizeroth, a story of human emotions. And um, so Dr. Dizeroth is a, a professor of bioengineering and also a psychiatrist um, at Stanford University. And this book, was a, it's about neuroscience, but it's about more than that. He presents some case studies with a lot of depth and empathy and definitely reminded me of uh, the great late Oliver Sacks and the way that he talks about his these patients that he interacts with both in how he interacted with them but also how he uh, discusses them and describes them. Um, also what's fascinating is uh, that he does some research that I did not know about a new type of field you can call it of optogenetics. And so optogenetics, it's really fascinating, and I actually would like to see more about it and learn more about it. But what they're doing is using um, proteins from some plants or algae that transform light into energy. They are able to put these in some neurons into brain cells of, of animals, and then uh, using light... Uh, they can then trigger specific neurons or groups of neurons and pathways and then help to help determine how the brain is doing certain things in the moment. Um, I always, of course, wonder when this kind of research is done, the harm to animals and how they're affected and something we always have to be very aware of and mindful of. Um, But uh, at the same time, there is something to be gained and it's always finding that balance and if there's a way to do it without harming the animals then that that to me is is the best way to go about it Um, but what the research has enabled to be determined is some understandings of what might cause certain behaviors certain actions certain types of thinking um, and and also it can have implications when we understand how things work how they don't work And then using that, it can also help us to treat people dealing with different mental illness or issues and disorders. So uh, the the field of optogenetics is a very promising one, and he has done a lot of research and also other labs, and he shares some of their research too, are using this new type of technology and technique to to really understand different facets of 
uh, experience. And I was going to say the human experience, but of course we're looking at animals and mammals. And so um, really it's, it's more about just living beings and some of the ways that we do certain things. And so he goes through the book and each chapter has a certain theme from um, depression and also when it comes to depression, even crying uh, to um, suicidality comes up, issues of cutting comes up, eating disorders also, and I might touch on that a bit later too. And in each one, he explains a case study, um, one of his patients or sometimes a few patients, and then also some understanding of what the research might be telling us or can tell us or illuminate about what, what individuals are going through. And he writes quite beautifully as well, which I thought was fascinating. He shares early in the book that he, from a young age, had a love of literature and poetry, and he writes in a very poetic type of a way, um, which I think is meaningful because it's not just this dry description of the science or things that are going on, but it um, adds this emotional dynamic to it, which to me is interesting when you consider what he's doing is maybe some people might think it's demystifying or taking away some of the the special feeling we have about certain aspects of our, our experience. So for example, if they do research and they find, oh, these are the cells that activate when a mother is looking for her baby, and these are the cells that activate when um, a mother is feeding or wants to feed her baby. For some people, this way of deconstructing these experiences and saying, oh, it's just these cells can take away what we think is something more magical, magical or meaningful um, about those experiences. So, oh no, a mother's love is something so wonderful and beautiful. We can't break it down into some components or into these cells. Um, but really at the end of the day, unless we assume a, a supernatural type of experience, everything that we experience and go through, uh, it's happening in the cells in our body or it's happening in our neurons. That's what's creating the feelings that we have. So in a way he's deconstructing them and in, in, in ways breaking them down and and showing us how we can specify certain aspects of experience with certain cells and certain pathways in the brain. Um, but also in the way he writes about it, I think it keeps the sense that it is something beautiful still. Even if I know what makes me feel something and how it's functioning in my brain, it doesn't take away from my experience of those things or make them less beautiful or special. So I thought that's an interesting uh, dynamic that hit me at the end of the book, thinking about how he's woven these um, different aspects of life from the scientific, but also to the literary and the poetic in writing about these experiences. It's in a way what we're trying to do and we understand our, ourselves as well. So um, as I mentioned, you know, there's different chapters on things and the aspect on depression was interesting showing what parts might be related to even crying and what might make us cry. And, and a lot of this research is new, um, but it does show that there can be very specific parts of the brain that might be affecting different aspects of even things like anxiety, where avoiding things might feel um, a certain way, um, startling might be affected by certain things. Uh, and, you know, we could try to understand it using this new technique of optogenetics, which can help us isolate in real time what's going on. Because we can look at a brain afterwards, after a person or an animal has died, 
uh, but that doesn't give us a lot about how things are functioning. And even with things like fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, we, we have a hard time making it as specific to the moment of what's going on, even though the images can be taken rapidly. But with optogenetics, it's really fascinating that they can isolate, even, he says near the end of the book, they've been isolating single cells, which is quite fascinating, uh, and seeing what they do and how they might respond. Um, the, the chapter on eating disorders is quite interesting because as he describes it, it's really strange to think that in individuals, for example, with anorexia nervosa, where they're completely trying to restrict food to the point where it could kill them, and oftentimes, sadly, it does, it's this strange paradox of somehow uh, the brain or part of the brain, part of the self is going against its own survival in a very extreme way, in a very a basic way of not feeding itself, something that we think of as such a basic drive. But somehow uh, the brain is overpowering that or overcoming that. And so this um, allows him to take a foray into the explorations of the self. And what does it mean to say we have a self? And is there a part that is us? And then there are these drives. Is all of it us? Are we all fragmented in some way? Um, and it's quite... Uh, you know, there is, it's one of those things where there's not going to be clear answers, a lot more questions, but it does make you question and think about these things that we take for granted that, oh, I am me and it's just this one entity. Um, well, what does that even mean? Within me, maybe there's many entities or maybe even where I end and you begin is not so clearly defined as we think. There is some physical distinction, but what else uh, does that really mean if within me there's many me's? Who's the me that wants to do something one day and then the next day doesn't? Are those two different parts or is it all just one part? I think it makes sense to think of many different things happening within us at a given time. So we have these varying aspects and there could be some overall observer. That's the part that's complicated and not clear. And I'm not even clear on what really is the way to understand it. Is there an observer that's more the me that then deals with these different aspects of self or different drives or different desires? Um, is it really like some kind of a political, you know, we can think of a, a, a government body where there's these different aspects or the different members of the citizens are voicing their opinions and different things get louder at certain times and they might uh, become the issue that takes place or they have to fight it out in different ways. It, it's hard to say. Um, exactly what's going on and even thinking about it is hard because we're using our, our brains to try to understand ourselves and that's always going to be complicated. But I thought that was quite interesting and fascinating. Near the end of the book, he brings up a few issues uh, in the last few pages that uh, I thought were interesting and wanted to share as I wrap up talking about the book. Um, he talked about how the field of science as we go forward, you know, on one hand, it's understanding that we don't understand a lot of things. I talked about this Monday when I was discussing quantum physics that, you know, we see these things and observe these things that we can't quite explain or understand. And we have to, at some level, accept that. And we'll continue to try to understand them better. Um, but we have to know that we likely won't get to a capital T truth, meaning that we understand things fully and we know that we know it all. We probably won't, but we try to understand better. Um, but he also shared that what he's doing with optogenetics is really bringing together research that's been happening for a long time on, on plants and things that seem totally unrelated to the brain. 
one would never make the connection to think that this type of research on plants is in any way going to help um, illuminate brain functioning, but indeed it has. And so it's uh, another reason to in inspire us to keep studying and understanding things, and we won't always know how they're going to connect and interrelate and inform each other, but they will. So we want to just keep on learning. Sometimes we think, well, what's the point of learning this? And a lot of times we don't really know, but the better we understand things, the better we can use that understanding to understand more and understand things that might at that point seem unrelated, but later may come to, uh, we might find that interconnection. He also talked about violence. I, I was surprised that he said there's three topics to end the book, and that was um, one of them. But he was talking about certain research that he said is kind of fascinating, but also horrific, where on mice, I think it was mice or, or some kind of rodent, they can stimulate certain cells that might make them become violent when they weren't before. So um, they're in a in a cage with another mouse and they're not threatened by them and they're not being violent and they stimulate these cells and all of a sudden they get uh, very aggressive and violent, which is quite um, shocking and hard to see, but then it makes us think and he brings up, well, what about humans? And we look at people with, you know, psychopathy who are, who have, let's say, antisocial personality disorder, who are violent, aggressive, and don't care about others. How much can we say um, they're in control of what they're doing? And so it also brings up aspects of free will. And we'd like to think that everyone has control over what they're doing or we know, but are there variations in what's going on? I think we, of course, have to hold people responsible, but we might understand better what's going on in people's brains, and that might help us understand what they're going through. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of talking about the book, how we might be able to help them. Maybe we can figure out what how to change these types of things. But I thought that was an interesting topic uh, he brought up. And the last one is about consciousness and what that means, our own awareness. It's, it's hard to say what that is. How do we break that down? Are we going to find the cells that make that happen? Is it some interconnection of of cells. Uh, what does that even mean? This hard question of consciousness. I'm not sure we'll ever get a, a satisfactory answer because I think it's in a way that we can never really understand the concept of something like that. What does it mean to feel something or to feel aware? It's qualitative in a way that I don't, don't know if we'll understand. Maybe, I hope someday someone's listening to this in the future and saying, Oh, we, we figured that out a long time ago, and it's really simple. Um, always when we're living in any day and age, what we think of as really complex or we think we figured everything out, uh, you know, everything we know we think is a lot, and the things we don't know we think we maybe never will. So maybe maybe someday we will know that. But in this book, he does a great job of exploring the brain and what we know about the brain. It exposed me to optogenetics, which is a new realm of of studying the brain and trying to understand how certain behaviors and feelings and, and experiences happen, which I thought was quite fascinating. And there was a focus in the book on people's subjective experiences, which I thought was quite fascinating. And his own interest in literature, um, in a way, translates to that, that when we're trying to understand people's psychological, psychiatric issues, really the only way or the main way we really get to that is through their words uh, that they, they tell us about that experience. It's really the best thing we have better than any other tests that we can currently do. And so that was also interesting. And you see that as a psychiatrist, him talking to his patients to try to understand them better. So I highly recommend this book. It just came out um, recently in this year uh, called Projections by Carl Dyseroth. 
All right, let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Ferry. This is Theo. I'm giving you a call from Las Vegas. All right. Thanks for calling. Let me know um, what your question was about. Uh, of course. Yeah. So, um, uh, so my parents told said a lot of great, great things about you, and uh, uh, they told me to give you a call because. Um, so I'm having a hard time uh, with our son because. Uh, so we would only give him his pacifier when we would put him to sleep and he is 16 months now and uh, we took him to the dentist and the dentist said uh, you should probably take the pacifier away or replace it with another one and we did that about a week ago and he's just been having a really really hard time going to sleep you know we would would rock him and then you know we just we put him down and he wakes up every two hours or so and then he just starts crying and then sometimes even you know cry so much that we can't even like you know have him calm him down you know so mm. we tried leaving him for a little bit to see if he would you know find uh like uh you know he'd be able to soothe himself mm-hmm. but you know it's, it's just not finding getting to that point to soothe themselves but we still try to go in there and you know uh reassure him that you know give him some love every five ten minutes and, but but it's just it hasn't really been working but last it's just been getting worse kind of and as of like last night we were with him all night. Each one of us barely slept like 45 minutes or so, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so we, I just wanted to, you know, mm. get your input on that. And do you think we should give him his pacifier back? Do you think, uh, do you think we should continue this until, you know, he gets used to it? And, uh, I just don't want to affect him, you know, long term. I don't want anything to be, uh, you know, emotionally affect him. So I just yeah. wanted to get your input on that. Okay, yeah, let's look a little bit deeper at what you've done so far and and what's been happening. So how long have you been doing this, taking away the pacifier? So we just started it a week ago. Okay. And, um, you know, and it's just been, um, you know, it's just been kind of initially, right, we would, it would, first day, I mean, it was hard, and then it was kind of like, uh, second day was hard, third day kind of got a little bit easier, but I'm thinking it was because already so tired because he was losing so much sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Because initially, like, he would sleep a good 12 hours with his pacifier, like, we sleep from 8 to 8, and then he would take, like, a 2-3 hour nap, right? And then, uh, but as we've been doing this, you know, as of the past few days, the the like the you know 13 actually the 14 hours of sleep is kind of turning into like eight nine hours of sleep now you know mm-hmm. and uh, maybe not even that as of last night probably like only a few hours last night so okay. um so yeah it's been about a week and uh we have been uh you know trying to you know take the past fire but he, he wakes up you know, he wakes up every two hours, and then as soon as he realizes, like, he's in his bed, uh, or, like, or, like the pacifier's not there or something, I don't know, he just he just starts crying. He just starts crying, like, and we have to go comfort him. If not, he'd just stand there and cry until, hmm. you know. Now, uh, during the day, does he try to get the pacifier, or has, does that come up, or it's only at night? No, we never gave him pacifier during the day. Like, if he's, if he's just hanging out, we never give him pacifier. The only time we gave him pacifier is when we... When we put him for down for a nap, and when we put him down for sleep. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, the word pacifier, it's like it's calming. It's making you feel calm. And he's been used to that. And now when he doesn't have it, he's feeling something is missing and he doesn't have that comfort. And going back to what the dentist said, what was the issue there? And I know you said the dentist mentioned using possibly another pacifier. So did you try that? Yes. So uh, the dentist said the issue is that um, his... um, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot what what the word was exactly for it. But he said his mouth is narrowing, so mm. it, it won't be it won't be good for you know uh, his teeth, and also he could end up with like speech problems or you know whatever case may be because the the pacifier that we're giving him is the you know the long one, uh, and uh, we did try to replace it with another pacifier, which you know the doctor was talking about, which is the shorter one, which is thicker. But but he just had wants to have nothing to do with it. You know, he sees it, he throws it. You know, he just <laughs> he just wants to have yeah. nothing to do with that new pacifier. I see. Okay, yeah. So you know, it's a tough one because we don't want to, like you said, you don't want to hurt him, and uh, but at the same time, we want to not make it like it's uh, too big of a deal in the sense that it's only been a week or so. So you know, we have to see how how this is going to proceed. As I mentioned, he's losing something that's giving him comfort, and also. It's just something he's used to when he's sleeping and not having it feels like something is missing. Even most people fall asleep in certain positions that they're used to. And even if they try to sleep in a new position, they can't do it if they're told, well, this is bad for your back or your neck or, you know, whatever it might be. It's very hard for even us as adults to fall asleep in a new position. We're made to, we're creatures of habit in the sense that we expect something. And when that expectation is there, we can then do the next thing. But if it's not, it's hard to do something even for an adult. So we want to first understand that it is really hard for him. Um, The way you talked about it, it seemed like you were not downplaying what he was going through. But one thing parents sometimes do is like, oh, it's just a pacifier. Why is he making it such a big deal? But we have to understand it's this full sense of safety and comfort that he is losing. Um, and, you know, to fall asleep, we, we want we need to feel that safety and comfort to, to help us sleep. Now, we could try other things like we don't want to create, a, you know, replace one, you know, the dentist saying bad habit with another, but other ways of comforting him to help him fall asleep. Um, you know, whether it's holding him a little bit more till he falls asleep or being there by his side till he falls asleep. And it seems like you're trying some of that, but what have you done in helping him by being there, you know, in a way you being, you know, you or his mom being the pacifier to some level, replacing that, what have you tried in that way? Um, so we've been, we've been trying to, cause usually when we would give him the pacifier, right, you would mm-hmm. kind of know it's time to sleep and he would kind of, you know, just mellow out and just you know, and just, you know, we would start rocking him and he would like fall asleep and we just put him down and he would be good. But, you know, as of lately, like we go in the room to, you know, start rocking him. Uh, but, you know, we rock him for a long time. Let's say, and then, but he just continuously wants to get out of uh, the rocking position. Right. But we continuously try to like, you know, I try to read books to him. And then we, we've tried trying to give him like, you know, a little, toy or like a not a toy like a you know like a stuffed animal or like a little blanket or you know things like that but uh there's there's none that he really actually ends up attaching to you know so it's mm-hmm. it's just kind of been like he doesn't really you know he just pretty much 
we we try to like rock him, rock him, right? And then we rock him for a, a longer period of time, and you know, just try to hang out and sing to him. But you know, but and then let's say if he eventually falls asleep after an hour or two of us, you know, rocking him or whatever the case is, uh, and it's, it's this has gotten a lot worse the past two days. But so he falls asleep because he's exhausted. But as soon as we're about to put him down in his bed, he just wakes up and starts crying like you know really bad mm. uh you know like uh he's he almost like lost his voice these past mm. few days because he's been crying so hard as far as you know um, yeah yeah so you know it's um even as you mentioned it, the routine some really big part of his routine is not there and having the pacifier gets him it's comforting him which itself has power but then it's also part of this it's sleep time, you know, he's getting himself ready. And now it seems like it's harder for him to initiate that getting comfortable, getting into that sleep mode, even the way you described it. It's like when you're rocking him and he doesn't have the pacifier, he doesn't get it. Like it's not, you know, it doesn't make him feel like it's time to go to sleep because something really big for him um, is missing. So we're, we're going to have to try to create also a new sleep routine. Is there anything else you used to do other than rocking him? And you mentioned like blankets or teddy bears. Was there anything he would hold when he would sleep? No, it was, it was pretty much just the pacifier. Yeah. And then we would just rock him and, you know, sink to him. And then, yeah, but always, you know, obviously, you know, in, in the room we have the monitor, which also has the, you know, the wind sound, right? Uh-huh. So obviously you would like kind of, hear the wind sound too I thought you know and kind of think it's hey, it's time to sleep you know it's only because the wind sound only plays when it's time to sleep you know but right. the wind sound's still there you know um we we we've been we've been really good with maintaining the bedtime you know overall like we'd always put him to sleep around like uh eight o'clock or so and then in the morning we'd wake up seven eight ish and then we'd do his nap around like noon and we've been trying to maintain that but it's just super off now because you know he doesn't sleep yeah, and I I would you know the timing of, especially in the morning I can depending on uh, you know both of your work or schedules and things I can understand that the time does matter in a way so it's not to say I'm sure he can't just wake up anytime but I would get a little bit more lax with the timing like you know 8 p.m. you know to us 8 p.m. means something but to the kid it really doesn't as much as we probably think it does even like in their physical sense they're not going to sense the time so I would be more lax with that as far as not being so concerned if the timing is off it probably okay. will be you know we're, we're making a big change so um, I'm sure it's tough when he, you're saying he was regular with the sleep which also allowed you and, and your, your wife to have more sleep and comfort and all of that so I get it that this is a big disruption um, but I, I think for a while we might have to accept that the timing might be off uh, even the naps or the nap how many he takes or how he takes them might be off and accept that for a little while too so even uh, you know with the sleeping I, I maybe would let him get a little bit more tired before initiating it if he seems okay I know there's always that uh, sweet spot or maybe it's a sour spot where if they don't sleep and then they get really restless so we don't want to let him get to that point so I understand not waiting too long but I wouldn't push him to sleep so quickly like right at eight um, you know so but you want to initiate the process you know I, I, I don't know if you do things like dimming the lights and doing certain things to get him a little bit more comfortable and we want to try to create a, a not necessarily new routine but add something that might 
get him more used to it. It seems like you're doing the story time. That's good. Um, the rocking can be good, but something else, because it's, again, it's this missing this comfort and missing this one big piece that it, it seems like it's hard for him to kind of engage the sleeping process and get comfortable. So we yeah. want to try to create, a, you know, new aspects to the routine that might be comforting. And it's only been a week or a few days, so it could take a little bit of time. I'm okay. sure every night of this is pretty stressful for, for the two of you to go through. And of course for him, which I know you mentioned you're worried about him. Um, so we want to comfort him through this. He's not able to soothe himself through that. The pacifier was giving him that. It'll take him some time to be able to do on his own what the pacifier gave him. So he needs your your help to head him, help him get through this. He'll need gotcha. you to stay with him a little bit more. Um, like I said, we want to be careful not to now create, you know, bringing him to the bed or create a new uh, bad habit that will be hard to break later on as well. But being there with him more, I think will be important, you know, waiting even longer. Maybe when he had the pacifier, you could wait, you know, two minutes after he falls asleep and put him down and he's good. You might have to wait like 15 minutes now before you put him down. So he's a little bit deeper in his sleep than you did before, you know, so he's going to need a little bit more from, from the two of you to kind of make up for the pacifier that's now missing. Um, if he's not taking that other one, he, you know, we're not going to force him to take the other pacifier if he was very against it. So, you know, he's going to need a little bit more. Likely this will be a process that takes a little bit of time. But as I was saying, we want to be very much in the moment with him, but we want to also take a step back. He's going to likely get through this okay. It's going to just take some time of adjusting and, and we can understand that it's really hard for him. Gotcha. Yeah, so, so like, for example, like, you know, like last night or the last two nights pretty much, um, we do we do spend a lot more time, you know, after we wait, we wait after he sleeps, we wait, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes to put him down. But it's like he's waiting for us to put him down. As soon as we put him down, it starts like bawling. Like there's no way it's almost at a point when there's no way he wants to sleep in his bed unless he's like, you know, he doesn't understand it. Do, do, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? So like so like last night, my wife was with him. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't sleep in his bed whatsoever. Like, he was, she was with him straight. She, she would put him to sleep at 9-something. He woke up at 12, and he wouldn't go to his bed until 4, 4 a.m. Hmm. And then uh, my wife finally, you know, laid something on the floor and tried to lay down with him, and he was up for another hour and a half and wasn't sleeping. Then he finally fell asleep with her on the floor for about two hours or so. And then he kind of woke up too. But I mean, as far as like saying you don't want to create other bad habits, so as far yeah. as us being there with him, you know, all night, do you think he would get used to us being there all he, night? He so. could, obviously he could, but we, you know, it slowly could change. And and so you know, I mentioned the habit and routine, but also it is a very calming type of a thing. So as much as it could feel to us, and I get what you're saying, it's almost like he's like, oh, don't you dare put me in my bed right now. Um, it, it might be in a way he's telling us it's very scary for him or he feels not comfortable without the pacifier when he's in that bed now like it's just an uncomfortable even I don't want to say scary but you know makes him feel anxious or really not calm and so he's almost afraid of it or he doesn't like that feeling so I'm okay with sleeping with him more than you were before giving him that comfort and you know slowly making it less 
Um, I don't think that's the worst thing because, you know, if he's really not sleeping, he probably will get tired and get so tired that he will fall asleep. So, um, again, this is another one of those we care about the moment. We look at the big picture that if he doesn't sleep well one day, I know it also takes a toll on both of you, but he will get more tired and sleep easier the next days. We don't have to force him to go back to sleep. Um, but I, I'm not so worried about a little bit of sleeping by him more than you were before. Uh, and, you know, that's not, you know, with his age, I don't, I'm not so worried about that. Okay, okay. And I'm um, sorry, I have a couple couple more questions for you, uh, for him. So, one, uh, you know, when we were sleep training him initially, right, we were reading books and whatnot, and there was a method that said, you know, rock him, put him down, step out of the room, uh, give him five to ten minutes, mm -hmm. and if he, you know, if he's crying, it's fine, but, like, try to have him find some to soothe himself then after like 10 minutes or so if he's still crying go in do the same routine put him down if he's crying step out so we kind of sleep trained him that way initially and he you know that after that he was great he's been sleeping in 12 hours and whatnot do you think do you think we should do the same method again well you know you could you could try it i mean with these methods there's a lot of different sleep training methods and I don't think there's one that's the best one and you have to do it that way. It depends also on you and on him. And because you're making this big change, you know, it might be different this time. Sometimes we'll tell parents, well, you know, you have a, a new baby, it might be different than your last baby. But even sometimes within the same baby, we'll see some different things. And so now because it's taking away the pacifier, he might have a harder time with it. But you can try that method and see how it goes. Okay. Um, with him. Uh, I usually don't like if they're crying for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. That's not, uh, you know, ideal. Just let them and, you know, checking in on him, like you're saying, is good. But, you know, you, you have to be aware of how much you're going to let him cry without soothing him yourself. Um, yeah. But so if that worked before, I would say try it because, you know, you, you guys have experience with it and he in a way does. Uh, but just be aware that because this pacifier seems to have had a big impact on him, it, it could be a different experience this time around compared to what you had last time. Got it. Got it. And yeah, I mean, it was just it was just because sometimes like I try that a little bit, but it's just sometimes he's crying. Like I, I don't let him cry over like 10 minutes or so, but sometimes his crying gets so bad that like, Nothing calms him down for like a good 10, 15 yeah. minutes after I get him, you know? So that's, yeah. that's, that's what I was kind of worried about and it was bothering me with that as well. And that's the hard thing about these types of things like we're trying to help them soothe, but if we leave them alone, sometimes they get so agitated that they can't get them down themselves down from how agitated they are, how high they get. Now, I know yeah. you said that you have a couple more questions. Is that right? Yes. So okay. we're I'm a little sorry. bit. Let me. You know, I'll, I'll stop you there for a second because we're we're kind of past the commercial break, uh, but I don't. I want to give you a chance to ask those questions. So I'm going to put you on hold, and we'll talk after the break. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you sure. so much. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. I'm okay. Sorry, sorry I, won't, I won't take up a lot. No, of that's fine. You, you said you had a, few, a couple more questions, so yeah, I wanted to make sure we had some yeah, time for so, that. Go so ahead. One thing that I was thinking, uh, so because, so I feel like we took his pacifier away, kind of cold turkey, and I mm. feel like we didn't prepare him enough for it. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing that I was thinking is, what if we give him his pacifier back now? And, you know, uh, so that suits him for now. And then a few months from now, uh, well, he has more understanding. We can kind of talk to him and, like, tell him about a 
pacifier to like pacifier fairy and you know having books read books about taking a pacifier away or whatever the case is and then kind of see if that would be an easier transition for him um so at that point he's going to be closer to like two years old and then he would like i think understand a little more uh so i don't know i kind of wanted to know what your thought is about well my first like you know thought when you said giving it to him i can get it but i think it's it might be make it harder later on to do it I, I and i don't know the dentists and how much they said you know it's important to do this quicker or, or not but in a way giving it back to them might make it, it worse and not to to compare your child to um, someone who's dealing with addiction but in a way it's like giving back that that drug to then take it away again might even make it harder so right. that was my first thought is that it could be make it even harder later on to take it away. And, and maybe initially not doing a cold turkey, I get what you're saying. It could have been a better way to wean him off, but you know it would have always been hard no matter how you did it. Uh, but now reintroducing it to him only to take it away soon uh, might be harder. I get what you're saying, that maybe he'll be older and can, one, you'll handle him more. I'm not so thinking that explaining it to him, he's going to care too much about it's like, yeah, there's a pacifier fairy or if you show him, um, you know, dental x-rays and what's going to happen to his teeth or whatever it is that we try to do to, yeah. to show him, it's probably not going to make that much of a difference because he just won't like him. I mean, if he was much older, yes, but a few months, maybe it'll make a little bit of difference. But to bring it back and to take it away, my first thought is that that might make it harder um, because right now, even if you try to give it to him, he's going to not, you know, if you say, well, let's just give it to him for a little bit, not as many hours as before, he okay. probably won't accept that. But, you know, I can get it that you're trying to find a way to soothe him. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. How, how has it been impacting the two of you? Uh, just that I know we're talking about him, but how are you both handling this? Um, well, you know, I my work is super stressful as is, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely definitely a lot of stress but you know yeah. at the end of the day i'll do anything for my son you know so uh but but i think my wife is definitely more stressed out than i am and okay. um you know she just because she's the kind of person where if something something you know is going wrong uh you know she would get down but i'm the type of person that pushes with everything to you know try to do something happen you know so it's just we're both trying really hard you know it's, it's hard but you know sure. it's not it's not the end of the world, you know? It's not, and I'm sure you're both obviously trying your best, and because you're two different people, you might deal with things differently. Um, but, yeah, it's important to, you know, we think about the kid and this, like, recipe for dealing with something, and there are techniques and things, and you're trying to figure them out. But how you both are doing is, is really impactful, too, because m my guess would be both of you, maybe your wife more than you, you're going to be getting anxious around his sleep time, too. And that's yeah, going to affect him. Yeah. You know, because we're trying to, we're talking about calming. I mean, maybe we need two pacifiers for you and your wife more than we need something for him because we need you both to be more calm. Because if she's a little bit more stressed and anxious, like, oh, what is he going to do? How is he going to react? He's going to feel that, you know, he doesn't mm -hmm. need language to, to pick up on that. We pick up these things up non-verbally. That anxiety is going to make it harder for him to soothe. So um, it, it could be good. And as I was, as I was saying to you to, remember that 
this is tough, it's challenging. We care about every feeling he has every day. We, we care about him in that sense. While we also maintain the mindset that, you know, lots of things, every baby, every adult you now see didn't have just like a perfect sleeping pattern from day one to like, you know, childhood. You know, there's always these hiccups and things that come up in different ways and different kids. So it could be good for your wife also, you know, and, and so in the same way, you don't, we don't want to undermine her feeling. This is tough and stressful and she loves her kid and wants him to be okay. And it's affecting her sleep. And that also is going to affect her mood and how she feels. So it is important, but as a reminder that he's going to be all right, you know, this isn't going to like, you know, make or break or have some huge negative impact on him and actually the more we don't worry about it the better we'll be able to handle it and the better it'll help him get through it because again he's going to feel that anxiety that oh it's sleep it's almost bedtime it's 7 55 what's going to happen you know he's going to feel that tension and so now we're more tense and we took away the thing that calms him down so that's kind of a recipe to make him way more agitated and not calm you know so that's also something to be aware of and it's been just a week and now I can say just a week when uh, I haven't had to go through seven sleepless nights or seven <laughs> nights where you've slept worse so I get that but in yeah. the in the grand scheme keeping in mind that this doesn't mean uh, you know this is like something forever you're going to be dealing with or he's forever going to have this like big sleep problem okay. um, so that's just something to keep in mind and, and the two of you to be supportive of each other you know uh, throughout this process the more you're together that also just creates a, a better sense of calm but also better for the two of you as well makes sense understandable thank you so much doctor i sure. really appreciate your time Big oh, help. thank you that was that was it I, I thought you had a couple more questions so i don't i wanted to make sure you didn't forget anything no no that's okay fine. you know I, I just you know i mainly i was just you know worried about him sure. and i just want to make sure you know it's it's not something that would affect them in the long term and whatnot and if there's anything that we can do to adjust but you know you were you were great help with you know giving me some pointers oh, and oh. answers and whatnot so oh. so i appreciate it. i'll my give it a pleasure. shot and you know see how it goes with sure my pleasure and... yeah good luck and again yeah you know almost definitely if we you know it could be sometimes good to think ahead if we imagine a month from now two months from now or a year from now this stuff will will definitely be resolved and it's not going to be something but we have to deal with it now and and the two of you are trying to figure that out but good luck with that thanks for the call appreciate you doctor thank right. you take care all right let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hi can you hear me yes i can thanks for calling Hi, I had a question about my four-year-old son. Okay. And he um, is a, like, he hasn't been eating from ever since he was probably one years old till mm-hmm. now. Like, not, not eating, but, like, he's never had normal foods, like pizza, hamburger, um, Persian food, nothing. So, like, he only sticks with the certain types of food he eats. Mm-hmm. And now he's getting sick of those foods, which I know is going to happen. And he doesn't, like, go to new foods. Now he's just refusing all types of foods except, um, like, I would say chips, junk food. And if I stick with not giving him those until he eats actual, like, substance of food, he'll just go on a hunger strike for days. And then he'll throw up and gag if he doesn't like it and even smells makes him want to throw up and gag so it's more mm. of like it's i i know it's not more it's him being like defiant a little bit and then more than that it's probably his sensory overload because yeah. of 
his, um, you know, gagging and the smells and all that. And we can't ever go to restaurants with him because he's like, ew, what is that? And he won't eat anything. We have no choice because he'll starve. Wow. So, yeah. So my, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but before I get to that, um, what has his pediatrician said about, first of all, nutritionally how he's doing, but also just this overall eating issue? So his pediatrician has referred us to OT, occupational uh-huh. therapy, ever since he was about, like before he turned two years old, we were there. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to do more hours because it seems like he's turned for the worse. Mm-hmm. And he went to a nutritionist as well. And nutritionist, unfortunately, was no help for us. She just told me to give him stuff like um, smoothies. But he's more like of a pickier eater than that. Like, I can't just go give him smoothie and all will be good. He'll refuse it. And when he refuses it, I can't force him to eat it. Hmm. And so that was her only thing, like put powder in there. And then that's And then they said, like, is it him having acid? And it's not him having acid or anything build up because why would he not gag over the chips or the chocolate but gag over the rice? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, the, the and the doctor, as far as nutritionally for his health? Oh, he got checked for uh-huh. nutrition about a year ago. But a year ago, he was a lot better. So, he was good. Like, he was in the cusp like right on the border of being underweight, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. So he was considered normal and like iron levels were good because I was, I am giving him multivitamins every day. Okay. Um, so when was the last time he had a checkup with the pediatrician? So he's due for a checkup within this month okay. and his birthday. Well, that's good to get that. Uh, and so birthday, he'll be turning four? Yes, he'll okay. be turning four. And then the, oh, the occupational therapy, was that initiated because of the eating? Yes. Okay. Just because of the eating. All right. So clearly, as you said, there's a you know sensory sensitivity that's really strong, um, mm-hmm. and and you mentioned the define, and there could be and likely is because of that initial sensitivity, and then your responses and trying to to help him eat. Um, there probably are some power dynamics and things at play. Yeah. So you mentioned the defiance, but I think the you know if we look at really the core issue is that he's not trying to feel this way. It's just the way he responds to to certain yeah. things is different than what we might expect or from most children or most people what they they go through. And so I say that because it's tough. You know, you're probably stressed about his eating. You're worried about it, and then if you feel like oh he's just doing this to bother me or in some ways it can feel that way that can make us react to it more negatively as well to be like he's oh he's just trying to bother me whereas it seems like he really does struggle like you're saying the gagging and those things that's that's involuntary he's not um trying to do those things and and some people some kids are just born very sensitive to Mm -hmm. new smells new textures all sorts of things and i'm sure you've tried a million things to see what he likes um, but that could be difficult. And also for parents and, you know, for all cultures, but Persian culture too, we put so much emphasis on, you know, feeding our kids. And, and it is a good feeling, of course, to feed your child. And then when you're not, oftentimes parents can have a feeling of guilt that comes up, even though you're trying everything. 
uh, but their guilt can come up. So I don't know if that's something you've oh, experienced. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, there's going to be, you know, so as always, even with the last caller, it was, it was different, but there's still this, we have to look at our own feelings about what's going on and how that might actually negatively impact of course, how we're feeling, but then even how we deal with the issue. So I just wanted to kind of set some of that groundwork because we're about at a commercial break and we can get into things a little bit more deeply after the break. So I'm going to put you on hold and we'll be right back. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, We'll be right back. Welcome back before with a caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay. So we were talking about your, your son, he's almost four years old and very very restricted in what he eats did they give him a diagnosis for that for the eating so the pediatrician did not he's not he said he's not really familiar with that but the ot gave him a diagnosis of sensory issue like sensory processing Mm -hmm. and then um behavioral eating issues okay that's what they have it's not a set diagnosis and I went and did my own research I don't know if you're familiar with it I and I don't know if he falls into it I looked up this other um, diagnosis it's called AFRAD it's like mm-hmm. AF it's like, like yeah, avoidive avoidant avoidant like re- yeah food intake uh-huh yeah yeah and I don't know if he's like falls under it but a lot of the traits he does exhibit it goes under this mm-hmm. so my thoughts are this but that's a really high, hard diagnosis to come by because, yeah. you know, you need to, like, go through a lot of, like, de- like you know, steps to get to that point. Like, some go on feeding tubes when they get reaches to that point, you know? And obviously, that's not what I want for him. Of course not, I'm sure. And that, you know, talking about the, the you know, your own feelings, I, I can't imagine that wouldn't bring a lot of anxiety for you. Um, and most kids who have that don't get to that point point almost most of them won't but we obviously know you don't want to get anywhere near that um no. and i was just asking about the diagnosis not that you know sometimes the labels are not as important but i wanted to see what things had been addressed or looked at um because you mentioned the, the sensory yeah the well sensory. the, the sensory one? yeah what the, what else are, are there other things you know to textures touch clothes does he have other so he does have um poor textures so he he goes for textures for eating purposes it's um crunchy but then the smell of bothers him Mm -hmm. originally a while ago sound bothered him a lot but i worked through that with him and it's not bothering him as much like he doesn't care about it being too loud anymore because i kind of like saw how you therapy through it and Mm -hmm. have him get used to loud sound and then he got used to it and then he used to get really bad car sickness, like uh, mm. motion, you know, motion sickness. Yeah. And I did that as well. I I really therapied him. I just asked the OT what we would do, and she just gave me, like, examples, and I just did it for a year straight, and it worked. And he's a lot better. Like, I would say, like, he used to be in the car for five minutes and throw up, and now he wow. can be in the car for extended, about like, 30, 40 minutes, and he's okay. Mm. The only thing is... He's on an empty stomach now, so I think the bile, the acid, is building up, and that's what's making him sick. Not necessarily the motion anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and any other issues? How is he doing socially, language? So he's actually amazing with mm. social and language. He is a social butterfly, I would say. Like, he's, he's 
um, always talking to everybody, has so many friends. That's never been a concern of mine. Mm -hmm. He talks so much. He understands Farsi and English. He's very, like, he's thriving in that department. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, because sometimes issues related to autism can be related to this, but it doesn't seem at all. I did look at autism at first a long time ago, and he did, they came back and said negative, and at this point, there's no concern over autism, which is great for me, so... Yeah. I do think it's just more of like a sensory thing for him. Yeah, it does seem that that way. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's been a whole thousands of things that have happened, if not more, in this whole, you know, dealing with his eating with the, you and him and other family members. And that also can become an issue for people when their kids have eating, uh, you know, restrictive eating. They go to family's house or parties, birthday parties, and it's a, it can become a whole thing of like, how do yeah. we deal with this Uh, and those are also issues to be aware of as I said you know we want to make sure we don't kind of pour more anxiety to this probably anxiety fire that's already there that that's what's causing a lot of this so the more we make that an issue um, the more you know becomes an issue and I, I don't know how your family is but Persian families can be very just obsessed with food and eating and taking the food we made for you and this stuff and they can make it a big issue or oh i know how to fix it for you if you just give him this and so i I can only imagine the things you've had to go through and people um, giving their complete unsolicited advice and even demanding or forcing certain things i hope there hasn't been a lot of that but i I can imagine you've had to deal with a lot so i'm sure this has been a lot of pressure on you um i'm going through this and is uh you know tell me about the family situation siblings who else is living at home so it's my husband his father mm-hmm. and no siblings that i'm gonna have another child in october okay um and obviously i worry about this as well <laughs> hmm. but i know he's just this is who he is i didn't cause this obviously no. hopefully that's not what i caused and then my parents are around him a lot of times like they're you know, part of his life, and mm-hmm. my extended family as well, but I do have to always tell them, please do not talk about his eating in front of yeah. him, it's none of your business, because he listens, he's very smart. Of course. So, like, if you say, like, oh, he won't eat this, he won't, he just, you know what I mean, he'll, he's very defiant, too, so if you want him to do something, and he knows it, he won't do, you won't, mm-hmm. he won't do it. Mm-hmm. And if there's more pressure on him, like you said, oh, that's not going to be good. Yeah. So, like, we, me and my husband usually always tell people, let us worry about his food, and you guys don't talk about his food. And if he doesn't want it, we worry about it. You don't. Yeah, that's that's good, and I think you should make that clear and, and you know, stand up for your family and really standing up for him. Because yeah, the more we make it an issue, and, and of course, even if he wasn't verbally as advanced as you're saying, he, he'd be picking up on these things, making comments, or he should eat this, why doesn't he, you know? Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, he's being, you know, loose, or he's being, you know, whatever reasons it's, they might give to try to... loose mostly. Yeah, yeah. It's because so, you're giving him, you know, he's taking advantage of you, this and that, and I say, it's not everything it's not back in the day how it was 
everything is different and you know it's a different situation yeah and these things are much more complicated than that but i yeah i can imagine that the reaction people will have is like you're you know that you've created it which already you, you're saying you have your own anxiety your guilt about that yeah. you don't need to hear their um kind of you know makeshift theories about what's going on but you know they're gonna they're gonna say that and, and every person and every persian thinks they know the solution to even very complex things you know leave him with me for a week and it'll go oh, away or yeah that drives me nuts yes yeah. my brother says i can fix him within three days if you give them to me and i usually just say oh okay thank you for your input yeah and even saying fix him i didn't like that part of it to talk about like him. something yeah. i messed up yes. yeah and, you know and especially i'm hoping that's not being said anywhere near him um for him to th- hear that about himself but it is it is challenging and so to, going back to him you know, we also have to imagine his experience with this is not pleasant. So he's having a hard time. These things just don't feel good to him. No. Um, and so, we, you know, we want to be mindful of that, aware of that. If he's medically okay, and I know he has uh, that pediatrician visit in a few weeks or so. Um, right. That, try to really hold on to that because we have our own ideas about, you know, food and eating and what you need and how much you need that oftentimes aren't really the reality of what's necessary you know so um try to remember that that if the doctor's telling you he's okay physically then let's not you know make a problem when there isn't one just because we think it has to look a certain way you know right right um and you mentioned you know the way you worked with him i don't know if you said you therapied him i didn't hear if i I cut so for his car sickness they said to go put him on a swing um for his motion to for his brain and like you know his so he doesn't get sick motion sickness mm-hmm. you know so i would throughout the day i would take about like 30 minutes throughout the day and i would put him on a swing okay and just swing him back and forth and then i would try to take him places like five minutes and then extend it 10 minutes and just try to like do all those things where i noticed ot would have been doing it since we were at the point where a pandemic happened and we couldn't see anybody so i kind of just wanted to fix something for him and I did that but okay and that's you know that theme that you're describing there is really you know when we talk about any kind of anxiety or fear the way we overcome any kind of anxiety or fear is by uh, slowly facing that thing and so this is what you're you know where you have a challenge is when when we talk about this though it's not that you can just expose them in any way anytime and it's good it can actually overwhelm them too so it's finding that that balance, balance. Um, right. which can be tough because it's not something that's, you know, going to be clearly written out and he's not going to like it. A lot of times the initial kind of a thing, but, um, you know, a, a little bit of a challenge is good. Too much can break us. And so even with foods, I'm sure you've tried that exposing him to different things, providing lots of different options. Um, how has that gone? Do you do that where you leave out just stuff for him and see what he might be drawn towards? Yeah. So if you see every night is a buffet for him (laughs) (laughs) i put everything that he likes and then sometimes and then me and my husband will eat something else and we'll put it in front of him and he'll come over and look i'm like oh and i try to have no um force approach you know just very like lightly i'm like do you want to take a bite and he's like no it looks you i'm like okay and then i'll go try your food try your food but the thing is i've noticed that like he won't eat the foods obviously that I want and they did mention to me to try to take the pressure out by giving him whatever he wants and because he just needs the calories at this point 
and he needs to be fed. So hopefully he'll eat some of the junk and then maybe eat some of the good. And I've been doing that recently, like two, three days. And it, it's better because I don't want him to go hungry. Yeah. To bed, you know. But then at the same time, I worry because how can he survive off of junk food? Yeah. Day? Yeah. And of course, I mean, I, we, we, I mean, that's not the ideal. But I think, you know, even... I'm sure it seems like you're not really strongly explicitly pressuring him, but even the try this or that, you know, is putting a slight pressure on him. So okay. I'd be aware of those things. Um, no pressure at all. Not even I, try it. Yeah. I mean, you know, just, you know, leaving it there and, you know, you, it's, it's there. And maybe you say, you can ask him sometimes, would you like me to bring something? Um, but once it's there, I'd kind of give him the space to explore what he wants to explore. Um, and I'm sure it's, you're holding back in your head. You're like probably thing, just eat it, just eat it. You know, why won't you eat yeah. this? But we you know we have to try to hold on to that ourselves and realize that's our anxiety and not something we want to spill over to him. Um, because clearly, um, you know, he's, he's just trying to figure out his way because what we don't want to happen is he already has this kind of physical sensitivity. We don't want to add an emotional um, yeah. issue around eating, which you're in a position, you have to be ready that it's a very delicate one where easily it could turn into that because of how eating is an issue for him. And then if it becomes an issue of from a power struggle to mommy doesn't like me because I don't eat or, you know, I don't do this, you know, those kinds of things will make, you know, eating an issue for him on top of this physical thing so what you're you know trying to do is overcome the the physical thing that he's dealing with but in doing that you might create an emotional problem on top of it and we might not right. be able to fully change the physical part it, you know i think you've probably accepted this but i'll just mention it he's probably never going to be a totally normal eater you know more than likely it's possible but probably he won't be just like like everyone else i, I don't know I how agree. does that even sound to you i mean i think that's true. I think I'm, I can't be in denial. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, and that also is to say that it wasn't because you did something that this is where we're at, or that would be his potential prognosis. It seems like it's pretty biological. A lot of what started, what's going on. We just have natural reactions to things, you know, just like two people can walk in a room. One feels kind of cold. One feels warm. Uh, some of it might just be there this they run a little bit differently you know so a yeah. lot of this seems like it's more just him and how he That's is um so you know it's not something you did that made him have this sensitivity all we're trying yeah. to do is manage or help him get through the world and you know let's say he eats a few things only another thing is we project our own feelings right gosh that sounds boring or and i know you the health part i totally get and there there could be something there of course i'd always defer to the doctors but we can think well he's only eating that and he's never trying this yummy food which is so good or this thing which is so fun or we imagine him as he gets older and he wants to go out with his friends and different things but you know he'll he'll figure that out even if he eats a few things um if he's okay with it that's what's most important you know he might just eat a few things and It'd be fine. Imagine if I told you there's 10 types of cuisines that you never even knew existed and you never had. You're still okay, right. even though you never eaten those things. So um, if he's okay, that's the most important thing, you know, his health, of course. And then also if he feels good, you know, if he said, oh, mom, I wish I can eat those foods, but I can't, that would be a different thing. But it doesn't seem like that's at all what's going on. He has no desire to, to no. eat those things. So I think it's overwhelming for him. Yeah. He looks at it, I see it in his eyes. 
Yeah. It, you know, it seems like there's an overstimulation. I mean, that's when we're talking about these sensory issues. It's just like it feels like too much. Like even, you know, some kids will put on a shirt and the feeling of the shirt feels like too much. They want to take it off or wear a different shirt. So it's a very right. biological, natural type of response. But, yeah, it does seem like he gets overwhelmed. And even the, the gagging, you know, it seems like he has like a very sensitive gag reflex. That's totally involuntary. Um, but that just shows us his body just is a little more sensitive. It's almost like we all are trying to make sure we don't take in things that are harmful. Some people are more sensitive and that could even lead to things like allergies or autoimmune types of things have a similar theme, but it's just we're yeah. more sensitive to those things. So, you know, it seems like you're doing a whole lot. I would be very aware of your own feelings about what's going on, even consider going to therapy to talk about it, to explore that because it's going to continue. You know, it seems like this this is uh, something that you'll have to get used to in dealing with him. Um, yeah. And so I would consider going to your own therapy to make sure your own feelings are being processed and dealt with because already they're going to spill over a bit. We just want to minimize that spill because right. that'll make it better, obviously, first for you and your own well-being, but then even how it affects him. Right. I agree. So do you think that, like, I should place, like, all the foods he likes, which is junk, and just as, he's, as long as he's fed? And then the pressure is off, too, of, like, I'm not pressuring him either. And he's eating. I mean, hopefully, eventually, he'll eat some substance as well, but, like, take the pressure away, too. Yeah, I mean, it seems like if that's if that's working, you know, so to speak, as far as how things are going, then I think keep that. And obviously, you can, you know, every so often put new options and new things. That's yeah. part of the desensitization is, like, seeing it more. You know, he might even see the food four times and not even want to touch it, but then the fifth time have maybe more comfort with it because if it is the way you're describing it, new things are almost always going to seem like threatening to him. They do to all of us, but for some people that response is stronger. So he maybe right. if he sees it a few more times, he might, he might never, but he might be more open to trying it a little bit. Um, so I think that that makes sense. I would definitely explore these things with his pediatrician too, because okay. we'll see how he's doing I health wise. If he's okay, you know, I would again make that, that's the most important thing. When we think of food, it means a lot of things to us. It's bonding, it's uh, the yeah. enjoyment, the, you know, so many things, nurturing. But at the end of the day, if he's getting what he needs from food, then that could be okay. That's That could be his experience and relationship with food, which might be very different from your own. But if he's okay, um, I wouldn't put a pressure that it needs to be more like something else, you know? Right. And then, yeah, they did refer him to play therapy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yeah. it. To saying that that could help because it's taking the pressure completely away. And OT is not because OT is like licking it, smelling it, being around it. And that could be overwhelming for him. So they're saying play therapy because that's completely like maybe playing with the food and like drawing with it or something. Well, I mean, so... I mean, the OT, they're the people that are the specialists on that, and I hope they don't overwhelm him. You know, again, they have to find that fine line Balance, of yeah. yeah, pushing him a bit out of his comfort zone, but not too much that it overwhelms him. Now, play therapy, I'm not sure, if, you know, when you do play therapy, it's very open in the sense that the child, you know, when I've done it, you know, the child just comes into the room and they play, like they dictate. So I don't know if they're going to say, here, play with these carrots or play with this food. They might just let him play. And right. I think play therapy is great. Um, you know, it's 
And even when you, if you are even told how it's going to look, it might just look like the play therapist is just playing with your kid and you're like, how is this therapy? But it really can be very helpful for kids dealing with variety of issues. So if that's something they've suggested, suggested, I'm very much in favor of that. But just know that it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be purely surrounding food and this eating issue. They might, you know, I don't know what they would do, but likely just let him play and let him dictate where things go. So you right. might, you know, he might have 10 sessions in a row where food never is directly mentioned once and that might be okay. So I'm okay. all in favor of that. Yeah, play therapy is, is great. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. I'm just trying new, like, views of things to see, like, how I can help him because he's starting school soon and I know he's going to leave here hungry, probably come back hungry. Mm. Yeah, and I, I and I understandably you're, you're anxious about that, and I hear it, and that's why I was saying again, making sure you're good um, is very important. And you know, going back to how you were saying accepting it, you don't want to be in denial. This is likely an issue you're going to have to manage in some way his whole life. So I also don't want you to feel like time. Of course, time we want to take care of him and not let things get worse, but it's not okay. We're going to fix this before school starts. It's going to be there. Um, and, and we're going to see how we deal with it when school starts. But I'm definitely in favor of play therapy. I think it's great for kids to to go through that. It's very much a process of helping them explore things, uh, deal with feelings, not explicitly talking about the feelings, but it can help them really uh, cope with a lot of uh, things. So if he likes it and he find, you find a play therapist he vibes with and that he has a you know good time, enjoys them, I think I'm all for it. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sure. all your help and info. My pleasure. Appreciate nice talking it. to you. Best of luck. Again, it's going to be a struggle. I'm, I'm sure it's tough, but keep in mind that, you know, if he's okay physically, that's the most important thing when it comes to eating, and we don't want to try to create a problem on top of that. But good luck with yeah. that. Thank you so much. Sure. Nice talking to you. Take care. Okay, bye. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Uh, 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 yes, thank you for taking my call. Sure. So uh, the reason for my call is regarding my uh, 16-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, there are a couple of uh, issues that we have with him. Um the um he up 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 until uh maybe six months ago we had um we had no problem with him but uh about six months ago i i noticed that one day he, you know I, I i found out that he's he's smoking weeds <clears throat> mm-hmm. and uh basically um and he knew that I found out, so uh, actually I I saw him while doing it. So, um, and I told him that we would have a talk about that because that day we were going somewhere we couldn't interrupt it. So, but later we learned that um, to hide uh, or yeah to to to. I don't know. He he started taking pills because he couldn't take weeds anymore. What kind of pills? So, um, 
what we've heard is oxycodone and uh, Xanax. Okay. So, um, and we noticed that he's not taking weeds anymore, and we thought that things are basically, maybe it was occasional. But um, we noticed uh, a, a change in his mood, and and one night she came up upstairs and uh, woke us up and said that he had some um, illusions. And basically, we learned that it it is because of the pills that he he's been taking. So he told us that he's been taking uh, pills and that uh, it's giving him hard time and, and basically that he needs help. So you said you said illusions. So, um, what, what do you mean by illusions? He said things that he, he, he said that I, for example, I, I couldn't, I, I felt that my, my limbs are gone so I cannot see my limbs. So um hmm. and he was very scared yeah. based on that and, and uh, uh he apparently that night he as he couldn't didn't have access to the pills he'd taken some of or snorted some of the um tylenol um, pills that we had at home like a stronger tunnels. Okay. And basically, we, we, we started some looking around and, and finding out how we can help. Yeah. So we talked to, we, 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 we started uh, sessions with a um, counselor mm-hmm. and recently a couple of sessions with a psychiatrist. And basically, they 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 talk to him a couple of hours every week, and we we and we and and during these six months, we tested him uh, many times, either by these home test kits or taking him to the. Uh, to the to the labs and uh, and basically we have hardly seen any positive uh, uh, sign of using substances. So he claims that he's he's not used anything ever since. Um, and uh, L- let me stop you there for a second. I think he has managed to. Yeah, he might be still, you know, I don't know if he's, you know, but even if we look at this dynamic that's been created, of course, I can understand you're concerned about him, the the drugs he's using, and even that he resorted to snorting Tylenol, definitely that's concerning. Um, But if we try to create a type of, uh, Uh like, a system where we're going to catch him, where it's like a, you know, he's like a... He's like a prisoner in the home where we're trying to, you know, monitor him in different ways. Is there any way you can... Yeah... Thank you. Um, you know, that setup is not likely going to help 
and I would shift the focus, the drugs, that's a problem right now. But that's not the only problem, and that's probably not even the cause yeah. of how we got here. He emotionally is probably not doing okay. So I wouldn't make drugs the biggest issue. I would make how is he doing the biggest issue. Because I, clearly he's not okay mm. if he's doing yeah, those for things. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And let me ask so you this. A, did he, there are... If I can add another, just to ask, did he say he wants to stop and I want help to stop using drugs? Like, what's happening there that, that started this process? Because if he doesn't want to stop, that's our biggest block to get him even help in that sense. So did he say, I want help to no longer use any drugs? Uh, he has said, yeah, I don't know the exact terms he has used because mm -hmm. he talked to my wife and basically he has said that he needs help. Okay. So he wants to stop. And unfortunately she's not here to, to help me with, yeah, with, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so, so I, I believe, I myself believe that he's been using, maybe smoking something, uh, very you know, sell them. Mm -hmm. And I've not been here. So he is also a bit of a, a, a manipulator. So sometimes he, he, instead of solving things, he tries to manipulate the, uh, the scenarios to get himself out of uh, trouble. Mm -hmm. So, um, they, the the psychiatrist has um, come to conclusion that he has OCD and has some depression and anxiety. Okay. But to make it basically to 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 kind of confirm it further, he's given him some logs that he needs to basically fill up every day and kind of describe his daily mood with him. Okay. And it's it's ongoing. Basically, the sessions with the uh, psychiatrist are ongoing. We did an MRI from his brain, and they it, things are appear to be normal. So they found they didn't find any any damage to the brain. And uh, we are also uh, we have just one session with a neurologist just to see if any you know any part of his 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 um, uh, neural system is has been damaged mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, although that is that that has just been an basically the first session and is not is not conclusive yet but most possibly they will also have a, a EEG uh, down the road okay so with these with these said um, Another dimension to this, so the the school that he goes in, he he moved to a to a to a he started high school uh, in a neighborhood that is not basically a um, a lot of troubles in that neighborhood. And the, a lot of kids who are in that high school um, are from, you know, from society levels where 
you know um I don't I don't want to call them bandits but they they do things. Okay, and he but, unfortunately But if I can stop you there attachment there's based on the program that I know but there uh-huh. there's drugs in every high school in the United States of America. So I I wouldn't yeah. make it about them. Your son is sounds like he's suffering from mental illness not from drugs in uh-huh. his school. I'm not I'm not so worried about that part. And I think you're the fact that you said I had no issues with him till six months ago concerns me that you were not aware that he was not okay. The pandemic put a mm-hmm. put a toll on these kids. Sure. So basically, since since they didn't go to school, he was an active soccer player. Mm-hmm. So the soccer sessions, you know, stopped. School stopped and basically a, a couple of things in the back background I think helped development of these problems hmm. so I don't I don't want to point to just one sure uh, one contributor so I know that you know these, these all you know kids staying at home for long hours and not doing anything active normally uh, is a recipe for doing things that sure. they're not supposed to do. That's true. The pandemic, um, it was... So, it, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, so, yeah, losing the soccer and losing a lot of... You know, I'm sure that did have have an impact uh, on every kid, but losing the sports, you know, both from the active and the social side, that probably did have a big impact on him. Yeah. But as I was saying, my concern is, you know, maybe he didn't... I'm sure he didn't share things. We have to look at what was your relationship like with him for him to share what he was going through, but it seems like he wasn't doing well or something is going on before the drug use started. And we have to try to understand what was going on. And as I said, I wouldn't make the drugs the main issue. Of course, now it's a big problem because it could be dangerous and the ways he's using the drugs can obviously have a harmful effect, but also recognizing what's going on mental health wise. If he does have OCD, depression, the things that might be there. So we're, we actually had a commercial break, but after the break, I want us to explore a little bit more what's going on, what's happened. And then, of course, if you have some specific questions from me, we can get to those as well. Okay? Sure. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Yes. All right. So we're talking about your 16-year-old son, and um, you've been concerned about his recent drug use uh, that you found out about six months ago. Um, so tell me a bit more about, you know, did you notice any of the signs or the things that the psychiatrist said about OCD, these types of things? Have you noticed that in him? Um. I noticed, yeah, he he won a thing a certain way, but mm-hmm. but it was maybe several years ago that he was so, mm-hmm. so, and but he, yeah, basically even what he discussed with the with this psychiatrist was that it was several years ago. Now he is better, but mm-hmm. based on the based on the um, forms that he had filled out. They came up to this conclusion that that he has OCD. So, okay. but it 
even if that is still <clears throat> valid, it may not be very uh, uh, strong. So it's not a serious type of OCD. Okay. Um, he, since then, one of the changes that we have faced is that his bathroom visits, his showers are taking way too long. Well, that and itself could be related to the OCD. Yes, and this is basically since um, since that six months ago. Um, so it was not so. He was so filled up prior to prior to this. His, his schedule was so filled up with the sports that that um, basically he, and and also school that he didn't have much time to to basically spend in in in, in the washroom or taking long showers. So. It may be that the problem was there, but because of the external reasons, he didn't. He basically was forced. He forced himself to get out and do his own stuff. It, it but, could be, but do we know what he's doing in the shower? Uh-huh. I mean, if he's taking that long, my my first no, we thought. We don't know. Okay. It, it could be yeah. related to the OCD. He might have. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes he he sits there and. You know, go go takes his cell phone to the to the washroom, and uh, sometimes he watches movies. Sometimes he you know takes to friends, and some you know sometimes he plays. Up, 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 up. That's my impression. So um, I think these are the stuff that he does when he goes to washroom and the showers. We hear the the sound of the water, but what is exactly he's doing there? We don't know. Okay. We just know that he's, he logs long showers. Yeah, my concern is, does he have some kinds of rituals or something that he's doing? Sometimes people with OCD will take very long showers because they have certain rituals or routines or cleaning, you know, obviously can be one of the um, forms of OCD. But I, I believe, yeah, I believe he just wants to be under warm water just okay. as, as soothing or relaxing. Okay. That's, that's, that's my impression. No, I don't believe he's... he's you know, cleaning himself meticulously. I don't. I don't. I don't believe so. Because okay. once he gets out, you should see something extraordinary that we don't. Mm-hmm. So um, the other dimension to this to this problem is that the almost at the same time as he as we noticed that he's he's he was uh, smoking weeds. We he. He basically got into a relationship with a with a girl, mm-hmm. one of his one of the girls from his, uh, his school, and we we didn't. So basically, they visit each other either in my house or their house. They go out with each other, and we are not a hundred percent sure if the girl is also part of part of the the substance abuse equation so um, we don't have enough reasons to believe so but this is a suspicion that we have every time she's with the girl you know he comes home happy and with a different mood that we you know we can relate it to having taken something 
Although it, they also know that it can be because they like yeah, each other. Right. So, yeah, we, 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 we don't have a black and white indicator as to where it is coming from. But the, the couple of times that he was out, you know, one of the one of the recent times that he was out with the girl, we tested him after the uh, the visit, and the THC became positive. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, the day after, he said, "Yeah, take me to this is these home kits are not accurate. Take me to uh, a lab." A medical lab, and I'll and I'll test there. But we found that he has uh, bought something. I think it's called Certain. It it is something that my wife looked yeah. up on, online and found yeah, out that sure. this is something that can alter the the positive THC yeah. result in labs. So this is my concern: is if so, I, I wouldn't get into this cat and mouse game of we're going to catch him. You know that he has it in his system, or he doesn't. Let's say it's positive. What what are you going to do then? So he has weed in his system. Basically, we 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 restart because the the um the vis- the sessions with this psych counselor, uh, he is refusing to not refusing, but he doesn't show interest in 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 having further sessions with the counselor I think we will resume that and also we will uh, we will have we will resume the efforts to take him out of that that habit okay but Whether it is but if he doesn't want to stop help from professionals that sure but if uh-huh. he does if he doesn't want to stop smoking weed he's not going to so if you that's what uh, I'm saying is, most possibly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can't, you know, it's not, it's, as much as we would like to be able to control that, you really can't. And so if you get fixated on, I'm mm-hmm. going to figure out if he's using it or not, you're just going to push him further away from you and he'll try to find ways. And as you're saying, yeah, they can even fake urine tests, buy urine that's clean from people, you know, they do all sorts of things. Um, so if we get into this kind mm-hmm. of arms race of like figuring out, is he using or not, you're probably going to distract yourself from maybe he's not okay. You know, I'm more concerned. Is he depressed? Is he, um, does he have OCD? How is he doing more than I'm just Mm -hmm. fixated on the drug use? And the way you talked about him, I got the sense you don't think he's really dealing with any kind of serious mental health issue, which which he might not be, but I also wouldn't want us to undermine or not face that maybe he's not doing okay. It might be one of the problems that we have with him is that he used to have many friends and now his circle of friendship is is maybe just a few boys and this girl, maybe two boys and one girl. And this is something that uh, is basically concerning for us that he has basically, uh, he's not showing interest in seeing people mm-hmm. and uh, even he doesn't want to doesn't yeah the new people he doesn't want to be new people and he is basically reducing connections to to his uh, former friends older friends mm-hmm. 
this, these are all concerning. It's not that yeah. I'm, that our concern is only the drugs. So basically, yeah. we want him to get into, get into his um, life before uh, the, the 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 substance use and get into the activities back again. And the environment is cooperating. So gradually, the soccer fields are opening you know mm-hmm. the its restrictions are reduced so it's getting there and we we are hoping to help him in any manner we can and maybe that brings me to the to the to the to the main question i have for you because mm-hmm. one of the uh one of the things that we are considering is relocating to a different part of city where his catchment school catchment or schools with a lot better environment so um my main question from you is the the plus and basically cons and pros of moving to a different neighborhood not to mention that he has two other siblings that moving to a different neighborhood may they may lose their connections so we know that this is yeah a, a basic a con of doing so so, so what are you hoping that he doesn't yeah. have much con- uh-huh what are you hoping will be accomplished by moving uh, that he goes to a different school with better environment so better means away from those kids that introduced said, him? The, 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 the school the school that he goes at the moment uh it's in a it's in a mostly refugee and um lower income people with higher uh or as we see it the higher um rate of um unhealthy stuff do you so mean well, moving to a neighborhood? Uh-huh. Well, if you're talking about drug use, drug use is pretty consistent across groups. Like I'm not saying it's exactly going to be the same. I don't know these two different locations, but if the desire is to get him away from the drugs, um, I don't think that's going to work because whatever high school you take him to, there'll be drugs there. So I think again, yes. I think the drugs is becoming the main issue rather than we need to connect more with him <laughs> yeah i don't know i can hear i'm not sure if that's your I'm wife sorry. in the background or who's um yeah 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 um but you know th- to me the moving is not gonna he's not doing well i mean if he's snorting tylenol i'm concerned about how he's doing and moving him is probably not going to be the solution uh, and he needs to, first of all, whatever help you're trying to get him, he needs to want that help because just taking him to therapist is not going to do anything unless he wants to go to the therapist. So we, we need to connect to him more than fix him right now. And right now I feel like the connection is not quite there. And, and the more we fixate on drug tests and, you know, is he using or does he use with her or with him? And then if we take him or her out of the equation, it's going to change. It probably won't won't do much other than make it that he's going to feel more distant from you. Because right now you've created a scenario where he should try to hide things from you because 
He wants to do things that you mm-hmm. don't want him to do. And that unfortunately just means mm-hmm. that he's going to get more distant from, from you and his mom. Um, and it makes it harder for you to help him. So I would focus on trying to get closer to him and changing the dynamic away from catching him, you know, if he's using or not. I'm not saying him using is good or even I like it, especially the way he's using and using pain medication and using Xanax and anti-anxiety. Those can be risky snorting medications. That's telling us he's getting into some type of risky behaviors that I would be worried about. So I'm more worried about how he's doing and we need to connect with him and make sure he's okay more than just is he using this drug or that drug you know and and it's a big big ask and a big thing and i'm hoping with things opening up and if he gets back into soccer definitely those can have some big positive impacts but overall i would want you and and his mom to focus on connecting with him more oftentimes as parents we know we try to manage their life in a certain way which is part of parenting but we can lose sight of the connection side of things of how are we relating to him because ultimately if he's not doing okay i would rather he can tell you that than to turn away Uh, we're at the end of the show so i'm sure you have a lot of thoughts and questions that i can just just to give you yeah just to give you a i I even told him that you know if if you are you know we have told him that you if you are going to take if you need anything just let let us know and we may be able to but if he says if he says i want to go buy weed you're not gonna i don't know you're if you're gonna take him right so i know you're saying that to him but it's probably not true that if he says i want marijuana today you're not going to drive to the store and buy it for him and i'm not saying you necessarily should but i get it that you you know you want to create that openness with him but it'll take some time i do have to stop the show because uh, we have someone uh, after uh-huh. me but if you'd like to call in another time okay. we might be able to continue the discussion but continue you know only if he wants to help you can get him that help but uh, again we do have to wrap up but thank you for calling you're very welcome. Thank you for thank taking my call. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. Big thank you to Ghazali here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fayyad Alakwi. Have a wonderful day.